Hello and thanks for tuning in. This is the radio ministry of Grace Community Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. Please open up your Bibles and join us. Here's Pastor Dennis Helton. He is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Anybody uh, haven't heard that before? It's from Jim Elliott. He is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. came from uh, Jim Elliott, who was a missionary to uh, Ecuador. He lost his life there. He actually didn't lose his life. He gave his life, didn't he? And that's what we're talking about. He gave so much, he gave his life. Christians down through the years have done the same thing. Historically, you can see in the church, Christians have given their lives for the sake of Jesus Christ. Of course, the ultimate giving is Jesus himself who gave himself upon the cross for our sins. That's the ultimate atoning sacrifice, isn't it? That is ultimate giving, the ultimate act. And so giving is the topic today. I think we probably realize that as we uh, have dealt with it uh, in actually last week. And we continue with our ongoing study of 2 Corinthians, and we're in chapter uh, 8. Chapter 8 and 9 is kind of all one section. Matter of fact, it is the longest section in all of the Bible about this giving. And it's not about a tight-fisted hold on to everything. I can't. I can't do this, I don't want to do it, I'll have to do it, grudging giving, we're not talking that. Or is it the opposite of wild, spendthrift, careless giving, but it is true, generous kind of giving. It's gracious, it's abundant. As Paul said, it was hilarious giving, joyous giving is the the idea. The amazing thing about these two chapters is that... um, As he talks about giving, he never even once mentions money, although that's definitely a a part of this. But uh, we see a great example of this in the churches of Macedonia in their giving. And Paul uses a real masterful way of bringing forth a principle that the Corinthians really needed to understand. And he uses the Macedonians as a model for them. And you remember, they are the kind of the um, ones that the Corinthians had a, a, an ongoing fight against in, in some senses. They were uh, at, at odds with, with each other. And the Macedonians gave themselves to the Lord. And we know it was all initiated by the very grace of God because that's where it always comes from. It's from God. So... The Christian giving begins with grace. And we just sang that song, the God of grace. Our salvation starts with grace. Our Christian living and everything that goes with it and the worship and everything that we're doing here today is because of grace. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. And we realize that Christian... Christian giving begins when God is working in the lives, in the hearts of Christians. As he works in them, then they become like him, more and more like Christ. We become like 
And as we become like Christ, we freely give of ourselves. Christ gave himself up for us. So we think about the background of this and just briefly give a little overview of where we were at last week. You remember that uh, he's writing to the Corinthians and Titus is going to Corinth. Titus delivers the letter to them and now Paul gets the news back as Titus brings it back to him. The, the deal is, is that there was great famine in the land in Jerusalem. You have poor saints there, very poor. And some of the ones who had the money have given it all away, and they are now poor. And so there's famine. There's been persecution in a real heavy way there in Jerusalem. And Paul is enlisting the aid of the Gentile churches to give a relief fund an offering from those churches to bring back to Jerusalem, which is mostly made up of Jews. And so therefore you have the two becoming one in the church. What a great thought it was. And so when he mentions the Macedonians, the Macedonians are people of Philippi, of Thessalonica, of Berea. And we're familiar with those churches. Two of them have letters. And of course, the Bereans are, uh, we're familiar with because they examined the word daily to see with what Paul was saying was true. And you have to be just uh, enlightened by that thought. So he wants to get the attention of the Corinthians because in Macedonia are poor people. They are poor because of the Romans, because of the persecution because of the oppression of the Romans, high taxes. Macedonians had silver mines. They had gold mines. They built ships. They had great timber there. And, of course, they were close to the sea. So they had quite the inflow of money there. And the Romans came and just stripped that area of the flow that they had. And uh, it all went into, uh, they were paying their salaries into taxes to the Roman government. So it was a state of poverty because of the Roman authority for the most part. Matter of fact, if I may say, they were in extreme poverty. And that's what we put forth. They are rivals of the Corinthians. The Corinthians are not in poverty. They are right in the midst of an area that's a high trade area, and there are ports around them. And so they have people coming from everywhere, and the trade just brings more and more money to them. And so the uh, Thessalonians and the Philippians, the other churches there, by their giving, are going to rouse the sleeping giants that are in Corinth. Do you get the idea? And that's where we kind of left off last week. I think it's a masterpiece way that Paul has done this and using the example of the Macedonians to the Corinthians who uh, a year ago to that in that time they had a particular giving that was instructed to them. Get it Get your offering ready. And uh, so they were doing that. 
And then for some reason they quit. And there were false teachers coming in there. They were saying things about Paul and he was taking the money and being um, many things there. But, you know, this whole idea of giving by the Macedonians is mind-blowing. And this is why I think Paul gives us two full chapters to really get a grasp on it. And when you understand the culture that's behind it, you really start getting a feel of this. We've never, never, ever been this kind of poor and yet so giving. And that's what he uh, brings forth here. Matter of fact, they were giddy about giving with the lack of money they had and they couldn't wait to give. And we'll see that in our text. And we have to understand scripture ourselves. We have to realize and understand what God has promised. And we should look forward to when the offering comes to give rather than just taking a break. Our time here is to continue our worship in giving. It's almost like we just can't wait to that. And why would that be? Well, in Luke 6, 38, checked out that last week it's it's god saying that he's going to measure out to you out to you in accord with what you have been measured and god is going to give according to what you give if you give a lot you will receive a lot of course there's a text with that but at the same time we still have to believe that and If you give a lot, you receive a lot as a principle. You reap what you sow. And, of course, Paul will appeal to that later on. What you receive is good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and will fill your lap. And that's what Jesus was saying. So let's see how this fleshes out. How does that principle really work and we're going to see it really working as Paul tells the truth about the Macedonians you guys ready for this okay grab your Bibles hold on now this time that we have this hour goes by so quick so let's stand up grab hold of your Bibles turn to 2nd Corinthians chapter 8 and We are going to start with verse 1. This is where we were at last week, and we'll proceed through verse 6. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability... And beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well let's pray father what a passage dealing with giving and it is part of our worship it's part of our daily lives and we are called upon to just be able to respond to what you continually 
give us and everything that we need. And we know, Lord, you do that. Thank you for those promises. Thank you for this example now that we will look at. In your son's name, amen. amen. All right, we have light. We have time. Sometime. We have water. Those things are basic essentials, aren't they? <laughs> In this Macedonian response, as I was saying, we, we just have a tremendous example here about the true way to give. If one really wanted to get the idea, there are many examples, and of course we pointed out last week all throughout Scripture, you will see uh, giving and what it's about, the principles of it and such. Um, I think we ought to be delighted that we're in this text because I think we'd find that most Christians today, and I would say most, don't understand to give what it means to give properly. Uh, most of them can be giving for wrong reasons, wrong motives, wrong ways, or not giving at all. Um, we desperately need teaching from Scripture on every subject there can possibly be. So in 2 Corinthians, we've seen a lot about Paul's ministry, and now he's shifted gears, gone into another section, and he's not asking for money himself. He's just asking that the Corinthians pay attention to the giving that they have because they don't realize what a tremendous privilege it is. And he's going to use the rivals, the Macedonians, to learn how to give in a proper way. And remember, it all originates, not from some legalism, but from the grace of God. Because in verse 1, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God. We want you to know the grace of God and how this grace of God was given to the churches in Macedonia. This, look at the results. When you have been graced. Matter of fact, on the scale of 1 to 10, where do you think grace rates at? 10 being the highest. It's not 1 or a 5 or an 8. It's a 10. Matter of fact, it is the motive for giving. It's the only true motive. Not because somebody stands before you and asks for money or begs for money, but it's because of grace. Um, if God has not done anything for you and he has not given you grace, then don't give him a dime. <laughs> if you're a Christian, he's already graced you. If it was for nothing else, then he saved us. Because we should all really be in hell. That's what we deserve. But this gracious God, we want to emphasize this grace. If he's graced you, then I think there's an argument about this. It's his grace that motivates us to do that. You know what? It's never legislated. You'll never see this in this text or anywhere else that it's leg legislated upon us that we have to give. Um, 
It's not laid on us as a duty. It's not a matter of legalism at all. Matter of fact, it's the opposite. It's a privilege. And it's about gratitude. You have grace of God and then we have our gratitude. Macedonians gave because their hearts were moved by the grace of God. And if we're moved by the grace of God, then we want to show and demonstrate how gracious he is by seeing, by being in this attitude of gratitude. We want to be moved by the grace of God. Filled with the Holy Spirit means having that attitude. Now, if we're not moved by his grace, if we're not filled with his spirit, then we are what? We are sinning. We are in sin if we're not filled with God's spirit. Ephesians 5 gives us a command. It's not an option to be filled with God's spirit. It's a command. Be filled with him, with the word of God, as Ephesians 5 says, and his spirit. If we're not moved by his grace, then we are in sin. So that he uses the word grace there, charis, and then he uses the Macedonians, puts them together. That is a summary of last week, and that sets us up for verse 2 and following. And he says that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. A lot of key terms there. And you think uh, adjectives? Wow. He puts it forth boldly. All giving starts with the grace of God and that's what we did last week. Besides the long intro that we had. And then we finally got to one. The second one now is realizing this grace of God. Where it starts. These Thessalonians, Philippians, Bereans, the churches in Macedonia there. They were in the, the very midst of affliction. That's what he starts off with. Affliction. He uses the word there, great ordeal. The word there for great is polis. You ever heard of metropolitan? It's dealing with numbers or great or much. In this sense, it relates to the extremity of their ordeal. It's an extreme ordeal. We're not talking a light or some, somewhere in between kind of ordeal. It's extreme Polis, great. Ordeal is dakimas, dakimel, trial. You know what trials are, right? A trial, a test is a good word for this. Because really what it is, it's a word that's used throughout <laughs> the New Testament, and the word is dakime where you have a test, let's say, of gold, and it's mixed with impurities, so you put the fire to it, put, make a test to prove what is genuine there. You want to take all the other stuff that's fake, and you want to put what is real. It's to show what is genuine. They would do it with silver. Those were tests. 
to show what was real. So we have tests to show what is real in our lives. There's a lot of things in there that just gunk and junk. just needs to be washed away. That's why we have tests. Peter talked about that much. Now the word affliction, and we've seen this word several times in 2 Corinthians. Chapter 1, it really started off with a few times there. The word there is thalipsis. You guys remember this one? And it means pressure. It means crushing grapes. It's putting the squeeze down on them. That's affliction. So they had that. Paul um, knew about their great test of affliction. The great ordeal of affliction. Those three words right there. He did because they were persecuted. Pers heavily persecuted people. We can look in scripture just to see where that comes into play. Let's go to the Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. A letter that Paul wrote to them to encourage them. They were an encouragement to him. If you look in... 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. Remember, the Thessalonians are Macedonians, right? Here's what was happening to them as he wrote. He says, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation, like pressure, Philipsis, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They received the word with joy, the Holy Spirit, in much tribulation. Get the idea? When they took that, that meant persecution. They'd be baptized. People would see them, their family. They were then cut off from the family, considered to be dead to them, cut off from their jobs, just the same kind of things that was happening in Jerusalem. That creates <coughs> poverty. Poverty there for the church in Thessalonica. And remember, they are very poor there anyway because of what happened with the Roman Empire. And there was there had been famines across the land. A lot of reasons why, but there in Jerusalem it, it was it was terribly bad. But here in Thessalonica, they knew what it was to have this. Well, let's look at chapter two, verse fourteen and fifteen. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Imitators. He uses that again. For you also endured the same suffering. Do you see imitating Paul and suffering going together? Uh, he mentioned Jesus before too, didn't he? You imitate Jesus when you go through suffering. At the hands of your own countrymen even as they did from the Jews. Their own people went through suffering. You endured it. You went through it. They were able to hold up through it. You imitated Paul. Paul would be saying, you imitated me. You imitated us. You imitated Jesus Christ when you went through this great pressure. Now that's to the Thess Thessalonians, right? 2 Thessalonians 1, 4, you'll see the same thing. Let's go to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. For to you. Now look at this. Again, who are the Philippians? Well, they're Macedonians. 
It has been granted for Christ's sake. Not only to believe in him, it was granted, or we were graced to believe in him, right? Not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. We were granted suffering. You see how Paul's attitude is towards that? goes against the grain of some of the thought of today. Their giving now was, going back to 2 Corinthians, we're just saying here, this is what the scripture is saying. This is not what Dennis would like to write out of his flesh. This, you know, it's like, wow, Dennis, you could be like to talk about suffering. Let's move on. Yeah. But it was a great deal, a great ordeal of affliction and they were going to give to the poor in Jerusalem who are going under great tribulation. You know what? You would think, okay, here it is. When you're going through affliction, that means God is really against you and his grace has been just thrown out. God doesn't care for me right now. Where is he? What is he doing? This is not right. But the thing is, as we look at scripture here, and as we go through the text, it's extremely opposite of the way the nature of man likes to think. Okay, if I do good, then God will be favored with me. And if I do bad, then God won't love me. So therefore, he must not be loving me. Uh, when affliction gets worse, we think, then the grace is decreased. But really, it's the other way around. When affliction comes on, his grace even increases. His love is always there. It's the same. But you know what it does? It is time for a platform for the Macedonians to put on display the great attributes of God's mercy and his power. Because through the weak, people can see the strength of Christ in them. We use affliction and hardship as an excuse not to give. Suffering can drive us inward. We use affliction, hardship. How can I give? I, I can't do that. Look at me. Look at this. But these guys looked at it as, as affliction as a platform to give generously so that God would be magnified in their generous giving, in the situation that they were in, this is outward to help others. Rather than turning inward, what did they do? They turned outward. They rejoiced at laying up treasures. We say, yeah, Paul was an apostle. And yeah, sure, Dennis. Yeah, his suffering. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, well, that was him, and this is me, and I'm not him. <laughs> but then he just takes ordinary people, and Paul's an ordinary people. God just gave an office to him, and quite a ministry but he gives ministry to all and he saved these Macedonians they rejoice at laying up treasures in heaven it's more blessed to give than to receive I think they believed that they wanted a blessing so anyway giving in the midst of affliction so, knowing who they are, you can say, oh, yeah, I guess people kind of...
kind of like us. <coughs> maybe in a worse condition, maybe? Is that possible? Their abundance of joy. Afflicted, very poor, they're joyous. <laughs> God, I, I just don't understand you sometimes. Everything seems to be the opposite. The word there is parasea. It means abundance. So abundant it overflows. It's a surplus. It just flows over. That's their joy. That's what he's saying. Their abundance of joy. He just doesn't say they were joyous. You notice the adjective. The abundance. What overflow? What abounded? Well, it really wasn't their money, was it? Because they didn't have a lot of money. They have some. That's not overflowing. It's their joy in God that's overflowing. Their abundance of joy. Mm. So much joy that they get the privilege of sharing with others they don't even know. And they realize what they're going through. So much joy in God they get to share here. They get to give materially, even though they don't have much. They didn't give because God had prospered them financially, did they? Financial blessing is not what leads to joy. What leads to joy? Well, we know it's the grace of God, right? And then the joy leads to financial blessing. And in this case, for the saints in Jerusalem. Do you get it? They couldn't wait to give. They were rejoicing abundantly because they get to give and they're going to have blessing out of this giving. Isn't that incredible how that works? So we want to ask, am I cultivating a joy in God? And I will say, it does not come automatically. You just don't wake up in the morning and say, ooh, I'm going to be joyous today. Sun's shining. It's beautiful, right? That can help. We're talking about rejoicing in God. In Psalm 27, verse 8. That's not a new alarm they've installed in here, is it? No. Okay. 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 <laughs> when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. That's what it's about. Everything, no matter what is happening in our lives, seek Him. That's too easy of an answer. That's what it's about, isn't it? It's not automatic. But if you can just say, seek God. Seek his face. That's what he said. That's, that's what God said. That's what he said there. Hey, that's what you told me. God, you told me to seek your face. So your face, O oh Lord, I shall seek. Before the face of God. Coram Deo. Can you think of a better place to be than before the face of God? 
in the presence of God. So the joy comes out of their relationship with God, knowing him, knowing his promises, knowing his power. What else do you need? He takes care of the rest. Even when you're amidst the great affliction. Now we move to the next one. This is the fourth one. It all started with grace, right? Always keep that as number one. Now we come in and we look, and we're still in verse two. Their deep poverty. Deep. Deep. Uh, kata bathos. Bath, 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 deep, kata, according to the depth. The depth of their kind of poverty. We've all heard a poverty level here in this nation. It's kind of funny. I think at one time, I don't know what it is anymore. I really don't know. I think at one time it was like for a, maybe a family of four or something, 25,000 was considered poverty line. And uh, I'm sure its line has probably risen more. But I always saw that and I go, huh, I guess I'm in, in the poverty level. I never thought of that. You know, more than blessed. Yeah, I didn't have some of the things that I'd like to have or thought I needed. But the thing is, is that I'm sure probably I could be, and then many of you could, because of the income, still fall under that poverty line. Uh, maybe not. We're talking about this is even, this is below. I mean, way below the line. Matter of fact, the word means this. Extremely deep. Better yet, have you ever heard of this one? Rock bottom. I've hit rock bottom. That means I can't go any further. Rock bottom. That's, I mean, the lowest of the low. This is what Paul is saying their lowest of the low poverty. Okay, what's the word poverty mean? It means to beg. Patokea. Almost nothing. They were forced to beg. That would be used for people that were in poverty. Just to survive their deep poverty. Chapter 8, verse 9 of Second Corinthians. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. When Jesus was here walking on the earth, he didn't really have a lot of things. I know some people say he was rich. He had all sorts of money stashed everywhere. It's just coming out of every place. People were giving him money and everything. That is not true. He became poor as he was here on earth. He, matter of fact, he gave up heaven's riches. Where he's at, of course, it means that. But um, to come from heaven and all its glory, to come down here in the, in the least way, in the way that he was born, look at that. And you look how he lived. Deep poverty. 
They were almost starving in some senses there. They could have had this attitude, well, we can't send anything. They had something. The, you know, the widow and the mite, <laughs> she had something. But she was in deep poverty, yet she was, had something, and she put it in the coffer. Philippians 4.19. How do they how do they do this? Philippians, remember, uh, who are the Philippians? They're Macedonians. People who were rich and became very poor. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Why does Paul write that verse? Why is that a memory verse for so many people? And in the context, is it even making more meaning than it ever did before now? Look at their situation, their deep poverty. And he says, God will supply all your needs according to his riches. His riches in glory, in Christ Jesus. You know what? I believe it. He did it. Wow. Giving is not a matter of how much one possesses. But it's an expression of an unselfish, <coughs> loving, giving heart. They could have said there in Thessalonica, we can't send anything. We don't, we don't have anything. But they were touched by the grace of God. This was a test, test of affliction, extreme poverty. And it was a cause for giving. They understood what people felt like there in Jerusalem. They had been so blessed by the grace of God, and they believed that he was going to keep them going. Macedonia had been such a wealthy state to live in. They knew what it was like to live in riches, They'd been stripped from their wealth. Like we said, the gold and silver mines were, they're still doing it, they're still working, but they're not making the same money that they were. The cost of housing and food and high taxes. A writer said this, the name's Rogers, quoting A, a Plumber. The, a is Andrew, is a, 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 Plumber. The country was like a lacerated and disjointed animal. The country, Thessalonica, it was like a lacerated, a disjointed animal. They understood the depths of poverty. The Corinthians don't feel that kind of poverty. The trade routes, the isthmus that uh, they're involved with, plentiful jobs. It was a booming economy. Paul says, Corinthians, I want you to look at the Thessalonians. How would you like to be a Corinthian now? By the time you get through chapter 9. Oh, let me see here just a second. <laughs> this is real. It's not a made up story, is it? What made the difference? We don't find any strong arm manipulation here. We don't find any arm twisting. We don't find any legalism here. We don't find promises here. If you give this, I'll guarantee you God will give you double the amount of money. We don't see that. Uh, all Paul is trying to do 
dealing with uh, the Corinthians is to correct their attitude and to give them the clearest teaching that they possibly have on grace giving. By the way, that's two words, I think, that go together. Grace giving. Still in the second verse. Overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Overflowed. Parasuo means to overflow. It means to have a surplus, to have an abundance. I think we saw this word earlier. Plutos, riches. The riches, wealth, they overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. They were not rich in material possessions. They had some. They did possess a wealth of liberality. Liberality, oh, we have to get on that word. <laughs> the word actually was explained here last Sunday in systematic theology class, and Luke will know exactly what I'm talking about, is hoplates. Do you guys remember that word? And as soon as I say simplified, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Simplicity. Their simplicity, their sincerity, their single-mindedness, the wealth of their single-mindedness. Where did they have their heads at? They were thinking about Jerusalem. They weren't thinking, well, here's me and here's them. <laughs> I'm going over here. Me first. Their single-mindedness is on Jerusalem. Hoplites, sincerity, single-mindedness, a sincere concern for the Jerusalem saints. It's the opposite of duplicity. If you have simplicity, we're not talking about simpletons here, right? Of course, that's the word that we would think of ordinarily, but it's talking about singly devoted simplicity versus duplicity. Duplicity would be double-minded. Myself, others. Macedonians were rich. <coughs> They're they overflowed in the richness, the wealth of their single-mindedness because of the divine grace that has been given to them. Rich and single-mindedness. Turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. We'll see that word. This is all dealing with unity. There's a oneness in diversity in the church. We're all different, but we are to be single-minded, thinking the same way. We are to be conformed to Christ, and so our thinking and our thoughts are changing and we're being, becoming more like Christ as we become, and then we become like <coughs> each other in our thinking. Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look for your own personal interest, but for the interest of others. Verse 2, right at the end of it, says, intent on one purpose. And there's the, the purpose. Going from selfishness to having humility and looking out for the interest of others. So that's the idea. Check out the dynamic that's working here. 
grace comes down. Joy rises up. And generosity, single-mindedness, giving flows out. We're overflowing. Flows out. It's not talking about amount here. It's talking about divine grace. They experienced joy, didn't they? Because their whole focus was on Christ. They experienced joy in grace. That's why they gave so generously. And so you can see how that word, then liberality comes in there, or generous. The, they are generous. Another thing, number six, giving is according to ability. As we move into verse three now. For I testify that according to their ability, stop there. I know you're looking at the next phrase too. We'll just start with their ability. He says, I testify, martyreo, dealing with that word witness, testify, actually comes historically from the saints who became martyrs. They testified to their faith as they became martyrs. That word got there, but that word martyreo is to testify, and that's what Paul is saying here. If you look at Philippians 4, 15 through 18. Philippians, remember who the Philippians are. They are Macedonians. <laughs> 15 through 18. So next time you read Thessalonians, First and Second Thessalonians and Philippians, just think about their condition they were in. I know this will probably make an everlasting uh, impression on all of us as we read through these particular books. Remember what happened to them, where they're at financially, and yet what they did. It'll give you a new look at this. A good way to read the Bible is to know who they are, isn't it? Philippians 4.15 You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. Here I was in Philippi, in Macedonia, and whenever I left Macedonia, no other churches gave like you did. Remember their condition. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. They were given to Paul for his needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. That's the reason why I do this ministry I do. It's for your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Oh, wow. It might have not been a million bucks. It might not have been a thousand bucks. It might not have been a hundred bucks. It might not have been fifty bucks. Whatever it is to Paul, man, he is amazed. And he says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. How can Paul say that? He took their money. 
can say this because look where he has been and he <laughs> continues to be. He's in the grace of God. He knows what it's like to abound in riches, to have money, and he knows what it's like to not have it and to be in desperate situations. And he says, I know God will take care of you because he's always done it, always will, because he says it. And by the way, whatever it means, it's always worked in my account too. <laughs> But basically because God says that. Um, as they looked at their ability, 2 Corinthians, according to their ability, ability is the word dunamis. We know what that word is, don't we? Dynamite. It's power. It's strength. They had the strength to give whatever they gave. 2 Corinthians 8, 12. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has. Not according to what he does not have. So we give according to what we have. According to the ability we have. He said, well, how much is that, Dennis? Well, I don't know. <laughs> you ought to know. It's according to your ability. He said, well, I don't know. Well, go to the Lord. It's, it's between you and him. You know what? I think the Macedonians looked at their ability to give. And I'm sure they're, you know, you, you have to use wisdom and you have to consider where you're at. And yeah, you have to take care of your family, right? I mean, that that's vitally important. If you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. They're looking at their future needs and obligations. You know, it's almost like they throw all that out the window. They show total disregard to both of those, and they know the consequences for themselves, and they willingly embrace them. Because <laughs> look at the next phrase. And beyond their ability. It's not according to their ability. They wanted to give. They wanted to give abundantly. We're not talking about how much. They want to outdo themselves. Beyond their means. I, I don't understand. Matter of fact, Paul really didn't either. They're probably thinking, how much can I comfortably contribute here? And they just went beyond that figure. It's out of Belfield's commentary. They believed God's promise to supply all their needs. Philippians 4.19, right? Um, Mark 12, verse 42 For a widow came, put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to their treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Well, I don't understand that. heard about a story of a man who was asked to give an offering. He said, well, you know what? I think I could give $10 and it wouldn't hurt. The usher said, well, why don't you give $20 and start to feel it a little bit? <laughs> 
That's when the blessing comes. Well, the Macedonians gave beyond their means. I mean, they dug deep because they realized the privilege of doing so. Paul was really reluctant to even ask them to even give. He knew where that was all at. He knew what this was, where they were at. They're needy people. How can I ask them to give whenever they're in the same situation that the people in Jerusalem are in? I, I can't do this. He said, how, how can you say that, Dennis? How, how do you know that? Well, it's right there in verse 3. Or verse 4. They gave, gave beyond their ability. They gave of their own accord. By the way, that means of their own initiative, of their own free will. They were never coerced. It's never out of guilt or fear. But they, they begged. I'm going to get to that begging just for a moment, uh, in a moment. Um, that idea of being coerced, that's not the purpose of what this is about. You never want to be coerced say, okay, hey, well, what about tithing? Actually, tithing is found in the Old Testament. Never once in the epistles will you read of a Christian being told to tithe. Uh, many Christians think that you are to tithe today, but uh, the tithe was a tax levied upon the people of the Old Testament, the Jews, and it was to pay for the temple tax. It's actually to pay for the, the priests and the activities they did because they didn't work a regular job. They worked specifically as priests. They were, they were full-time in that sense. And they were to be taken care of to be able to, to have the, the, the clothes they wore, the outfits, the, the food, the, the necessities. And so the people were to do that. On top of that, they, uh, there were other kind of taxes to take uh, care of other things in, in the country. And, and, of course, this was a nation that was... Um, of course, it, it was a, a government that was really supposed to be of, of God and the law. And they all worshipped the same, um, same God. time you get to it, it comes out to something like 23.5% on the average year that they would pay in their taxes to support all this. And whenever he said that they gave of their own accord... It was upon them giving voluntarily. It's a voluntary thing. We are all now priests. We, Peter says we are a royal priesthood. We give voluntarily. We don't set the amount because a church tells you or because it says you tithe. It's, it's a good place to start. There's a lot of people that give over the tithe. Whoops, well, I'm only supposed to give a tithe, so I'll take this money back and keep it. Um, actually, a tithe could mean even more. Uh, or over the tithe. Uh, sometimes it could be a situation with where one is at, and it does take wisdom, and it, it can be a good place to start. You know, if you're trying to get a number and uh, don't want to dissuade somebody, saying, well, I can't tithe now. But that word was kind of meant for a, a different time. Here, we now see a grace giving, a voluntary giving. There are certain churches that will prescribe you that if you don't give a certain amount, you can't have your kids come to our schools. 
you can't do this, can't do that, and of course all those elements that are involved. Um, anyway, uh, the cults really thrive on that thought. Uh, about um, the next one, number nine, the word is, uh, now I, I was going to get into this just for a moment, for the favor, they begging, they were begging us with much urging for the favor of participation. Much urging. They were begging. They insisted with intensity. They wanted to contribute so much. Paul was like saying, hey, listen, please, you guys have to, really, you need to be careful here. You need, you need money, too. This is amazing. Most peace people beg to get money. What are these guys doing? They're begging to give money. By the way, the word there, in its sense, they, they kept on badgering Paul to take the money or to take their offering. There was a keep, a keep on thing. He said, come on, guys, really. Seriously, you know, grace giving. Wow. He finally gave in to their request. Begging us with much urging. <laughs> For the favor of participation, that's what gets us into the next section. They're eager to be agents of God's grace. Now we go to number 10, verse 5. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. Oh, by the way, favor of participation is right at the end of verse 4. Um, that means they gave themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. For the favor of participation in the support they belonged to Christ. They gave materially because Christ owned it all. They realized they didn't own anything. This is Christ. That's what we're giving. So there's a generosity of God here uh, giving his son. And they knew what that meant. They were redeemed, bought out of that situation. And they know that everything they own is not theirs. It's Christ. There's a guy by the name of Sam Houston. Remember him historically in our country? The, the Texan soldier, politician. And uh, it's related uh, in, in the story of him. He said he wanted to pay half the local minister's salary. Someone asked him, why would you want to do that? And he said, my pocketbook was baptized too. <laughs> means his, his whole life was baptized into Christ and he had it and he wanted to give. He, but we know in Romans 12, verse 1, uh, we are sacrifices, aren't we? We are sacrifices. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, your whole self, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, a living and holy, H-O-L-Y, sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Give your all. It first starts with giving your all to Christ. They first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. They gave because they knew that this is God's will. Giving is submitting to the very direction that Paul had given and now Titus, and Titus was, of course, had come to them, and he's confident, Paul is, that they would follow the example 
of the Macedonians in what they did. He gives directions. Titus, we know, had started the work of collecting that offering a whole year ago in Corinth. They kind of stopped. Paul urged Titus to help the Corinthians complete this giving that needed to be done. You know, this whole section, chapter 8 and 9, and what we've dealt with today, is really not fundamentally about money. It's really not. You know what it is? It's about what gives you joy. It's a different twist. It's about what gives you joy. If you are following Christ, if you seek the face of God, we get joy out of that. And as a result, we do these kind of things. We think of others. What a joy it is. God gave the Macedonians a great grace. They recognized it. Remember, they were Gentiles. They were pagans worshiping different gods. And they gave themselves to God. They first gave themselves to God, realized his grace. Become a Christian giver, right? That's what we want. It's about having that joy that comes from seeking God. So it was the Corinthians turned, step up. They now have a challenge. Matter of fact, Paul has more words to say to him about this. This gracious work of grace giving. And it's our turn as well. We've benefited by the generosity of others others' ministries and all that we have been able to bring into our own lives, salvation and living by grace, all the believers over the years who've uh, affected us, and all the believers that uh, will affect us later on in the future. But we have the challenge to be grace givers, as Paul challenged the Corinthians and I would say that is an amazing thing. What a privilege. Thank you, Lord, for being so gracious to us. Let's pray. Father, it's about grace. It's about what you have done with us and continue to do and will do. It's all about you. Thank you for this time, this time of worship where we give of ourselves. Help us to continue to give of ourselves and the gifts. Give of ourselves and just being there, being available, taking the ability that we have, this dunamis, this power that you've instilled us with, and even money or helping people out in different ways, Lord. Just help us become better at that because... Even if we're really good at it, Lord, we still have a long way to go. Thank you for giving us a teaching on this, this instruction from Paul and using this example of these Macedonians. And your son, who became poor for us, that we become rich 
and inherit all the wealth that Jesus Christ has in heaven. We thank you so much. All glory to you. As people say, amen. Hey, we thank you once again for joining us. We pray that this message would serve to edify you. And we say goodbye until next time. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Until next time.